Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Listeners, and welcome to Everyone is Hot, the podcast about your underrated uh, stealth sex symbols. It's me, Shelly Brooks. I don't have my pal Michael here today, but we've got some amazing guests. First off, we've got Beta Kumarjigoda, a favorite of the pod. Beta, welcome. Hello, I'm back. And we've got a new friend here. We've got Writer, performer, and Shelley's bud from grad school, Tom Sanders. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much, Shelley. Hello, everybody. Children. Oh, we love Tom. And we love Vita. Oh. (laughs) Thank you, children. Thank you. Sort of pick up under the desk somewhere, forced to applaud. I don't don't, don't see them. I don't see them. (laughs) Very good. Crawled out. Well, we're we're going to do things a little bit differently today. So like normally we have one guest on and we talk about their movie crush. Uh, but today we're going to have a dialogue about someone that we all love, um, but who is a, a bit problematic. <laughs> Vita, who it's not me, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not Tom. <laughs> we're going to talk about David Thewlis in the movie Naked. Oh, so and good. I actually wanted to do him originally a long time ago at the start mm-hmm. of this podcast as my crush. Um, so I'm happy to be talking about him today. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. Um, so if anyone has not seen the movie Naked, it was directed by Mike Lee. It came out in 1993. And uh, Tom, if you want to give us the synopsis that's there in uh our outline could you do that okay thank you Shelley. i will have a crack at it so um naked the movie begins with uh it's quite an interesting way to sort of start a synopsis isn't it i mean it sort of mike lee i think has said that it's not a, it's not a rape scene but to me the way i interpret it 
the movie starts with our protagonist Johnny uh, raping a prostitute in an alley in Manchester, uh, which is, you know, certainly sets a vibe for the rest of it. Um, he flees the scene and heads to London to Dalston, which these days obviously is a bit of a hipster enclave, but at the time obviously uh, has a slightly different feeling and reunites with Louise, who is his ex-girlfriend, and Sophie, who's a sort of hippie goth uh, type uh, with a very cute accent. And, uh, you know, uh, it's quite interesting that Johnny, on arriving, seems to sort of forget a little bit about Louise and uh, kind of hones in on Sophie, who he rapidly seduces. And when Louise returns, and to be fair to Louise, is quite chill about the whole thing. Sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, it's quite chill about the whole thing. Um, he uh, treats her rather coldly and then treats both of them rather horribly and uh, decides that these two very nice women who seem to like him are not really what he's looking for and uh, hits the streets of London. And so begins a sort of Dante-esque uh, stagger across uh, various underworldy parts of London, wherein he encounters a number of characters who are, I think, really beautifully sketched and one of the film's highlights and all these sort of oddballs he encounters, uh, starting with a sort of, I don't want to say Glaswegian, but they could be from uh, any part of Scotland, uh, a rather dysfunctional couple uh, with a- She just uh, wants her chips. She just <laughs> wants her chips. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we have talked at length in previous episodes about how we uh, do shitty synopses from IMDb. Uh, but of course, we have an actual like writer poet on, on this <laughs> week's episode, and he has given us a much better synopsis. So thank you, Tom. That was okay. That good. Was fabulous. Jeez. Right. Oh, that was so I'm good. Excited. I'm excited to have some like English insight because this movie yeah. is just so British. And it's so specific, so you might be catching things that Shelley and I miss culturally. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tom did tell me that he was like, oh, I can't imagine why you would want to come to this, like, shitty country after watching this movie. <laughs> Do you see our country? <laughs> it's like, look in a mirror. <laughs> no, but that was fabulous. So good. But before we get into the main conversation, we like to play a little game. And that is the sexy trivia game so we are going to read some trivia from imdb in our sexiest voices possible and i think we're gonna start out with veda veda can you read number a sounds good to prepare for the role of Johnny, David Thewlis read Voltaire's Candide, the teachings of Buddha, and James Glick's Chaos, and the holy books, the Bible, and the Quran. <laughs> Beautiful. Now, Tom, do you want to read number B? <clears throat> the song sung by Johnny and Louise near the film's end, Take Me Back to Manchester, When It's Raining was one Mike Lee used to sing with his friends in Habenham, the Builders, the international socialist Jewish youth movement he joined as a schoolboy. After the film was released, Lee heard from a retired schoolmaster at Stand Grammar in Prestwich who had written the song for a school review in 1950. Mm, yes. That is sexy. And our last bit of trivia, number C. Katrin Cartledge and Leslie Sharp would later go on to appear in From Hell from 2001, a murder mystery film about the Jack the Ripper killing starring Johnny Depp 
Cartilage and sharp played eventual victims of Jack. Sexy murder. Ooh. <laughs> Great job, guys. That was lovely. <laughs> All right. So getting into the film, when did you both see this film originally? I think I saw it over COVID over your recommendation, which is probably how I've seen most of movies <laughs> I've watched is Shelly telling me to watch something. But at the at the time, I was kind of seeing somebody who has Johnny-like qualities, um, mm-hmm. very like has the ability to seduce, very intelligent, but also like a lot of self-loathing and despair. And Shelly was like, oh, you should watch this movie. <laughs> and I did. And now I've seen it about three times. And I texted Shelly earlier just to say, like, it was actually a much easier watch the third time. Um, yeah. I, it's just it's so violent and it's very, very bleak. Um, the first time I think I had to pause the film a few times just to be like, okay, I have to come back to this because this is too much. But then this time I just watched the whole thing (laughs) through and I got to, I felt a lot more humor in it, I guess. And I, and I got to enjoy the dialogue a lot more because I wasn't like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I already knew what was happening. I could just enjoy it. So I think this is a movie that requires a few watches um, but always just completely in awe of everyone's performance in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways a similar experience. I watched it for the first time literally just a couple of weeks ago. I'm back in uh, the UK for Christmas after the recommendation of both Shelley and my brother, Jake, who is a real film buff, has his own film podcast, Cinema Rising, and you guys got together and that was one of the films that kind of united both of you and is therefore sort of been high up on my to watch list uh, as I respect both of your opinion quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And similarly, I, I found the first watch through almost, you know, hard to sort of uh, dwell on the artistic side of it just because I found the whole thing harrowing. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's not an easy watch, especially the first time, because your concern for where he's going and what will happen to Johnny is almost so powerful that it's, you know, the the cinematography, the noir elements, the dialogue fades into the background. I mean, I was very viscerally sort of, you know, engage with it. And it was also an interesting movie to watch before Christmas, because Christmas can be such a sort of saccharine time with, uh, you know, a lot of um, morality and sort of, you know, cute sugar-coated tales and this was uh, absolutely an, an antidote to the christmas spirit in, uh, in in most ways so i've rewatched it on the second rewatch really the same as you enjoyed it quite a bit more actually yeah yeah interesting so what were your like first impressions of like david Fulis's performance and johnny as like a character like what did you guys like think when you first saw the movie Mike Lee's process is so interesting. And when I first watched the movie, I didn't know the background of how these characters are created, how so much of it is improvised, and how the actor and director work together to build out these characters. And what's amazing about the character of Johnny is that you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. Like Mm -hmm. his search, he's so lonely and he's constantly searching for connection and like through London, he finds these people, he's just going up and talking to them. and I in the moment where he enters the house and he sees Louise and she says, uh, like, how did you get here? And then he goes into the entire history of evolution, basically, and ends with a joke. Like every bit of dialogue is just so surprising. And the character's thought process, like showing his intellect, his his own chaotic nature is just 
I don't know. It's just very surprising. So I was, I never knew what was going to come out of his mouth or where the story was going to go. So I think that was mm-hmm. something that captivated me. But Thulis's performance is so physical, like his little face, facial tics and little mm-hmm. smiles and the way he kind of acts with his mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. True. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Like what what like really like struck you about this performance? Well, I only know David Thewlis really from his role in Fargo, a show I like very much. Yeah, well, that's true. But I actually didn't realize that that was the same guy, because I think partly his role in Fargo is so, I don't know, like idiosyncratic. It almost felt like a man had wandered onto the screen and been filmed, you know, and started drooling everywhere. And you know, (laughs) So, uh, you know, um, so it took me that that was my kind of first impression of him. And I, I. I, I think what's so interesting is that when you read the synopsis coldly, it's such an unsympathetic seeming character. This this strange cold fish, this sexually abusive guy, this kind of motor mouth guy. And yet it is Thulis's performance that, that humanizes him so much, especially when he's contrasted with, with Jeremy. And it really is absolutely a testament to the process and the acting that you know, the scenes with him are the best scenes in the movie when you think you'd get sort of you'd be like, oh, God, enough of this guy. Absolutely not. And and I think the decline as well was so interesting over the movie. And really one of the things I, I'd like to talk about the most is is even though he seems to have started at rock bottom, he's, he somehow burrows further into the, the core of the earth to to emerge at the end. Um, and I just thought it was completely captivating and, and a fantastic, fantastic performance. Some people are just so uh, connected to their, like, determined to destroy, destroy themselves. Like his lack mm-hmm. of belief in the future, too. And that conversation, we can we can jump into it later. But with the Night Watchmen, when both yeah. of them are discussing, like, is there a future? Is there a belief in the future? Like, is there a present? I think that as a theme is a really interesting part of the film. And if Johnny doesn't believe in a future, and he doesn't really believe in a present, so he's just. She- just acting on his own um, impulses all the time. Like everything is an impulse. So it's just like only tied to chaos. If if I may, I think one of the ways that I saw his character was as this sort of, you had the 1960s and this sort of, you know, your Mansons and these preachers of, of, of doom and apocalypse, but also this incredible explosion of energy. And this is such a movie of the 90s. And, you know, we're talking to the guy with the posters. He's talking about things getting cancelled. The apocalypse has been cancelled. It's sort of like we, we hasn't even gotten, you know, he's always talking about this coming apocalypse, but there's no apocalypse in the movie. He's mm. the, the preacher of doom and death, but there's no apocalypse. There's just a sort of slow decline which makes the situation so tragic because he's sort of trying to evoke the end of the world but it's just not there i guess people were talking about that during the time right like because the end of history article came out right around the time i think people were just generally talking about some sort but it feels so current because i think there is a feeling like this today like people are always like oh the world's ending the world's ending is there a point of doing anything like it's just ending like that that sense of decline and decay and every single character except in that middle towards the end they're all alone all the time everyone is just alone yeah and it's very interesting how that sort of like nihilism like uh comes up like in very like class specific ways like even you know johnny is like actively like trying to kill himself basically but uh then jeremy i mean he is like living this like completely like hedonistic life that that seems to have like a nihilistic impulse you know and so i i think he's an interesting character because like i read um 
a, a book of interviews with Mike Lee a couple of years ago. And he talked about like how he kind of regretted how sort of like broad the Jeremy character is, but I don't think he's mm. broad at all. I think he's actually like very realistic. I, I hate that character. Like I hated the scenes, any scene with that Jeremy Sebastian character in it, just like it, it just was horrifying to watch like those rape yeah. scenes him yeah. in the restaurant things like that i mean yeah. i understand why he's there like as a contrast of like someone who's truly evil and then someone who's like i yeah. guess situation has yeah. has made them become like this you know the sense of having no hope but jeremy's like constantly thinking about his own death as well which is just mm. interesting to me like he asks the masseuse like have you have you thought about suicide right, right like right He's constantly thinking about his own death. Yeah. He's, he's, um, I read a quote that Mike Lee's so interested in the domesticated and the feral or the barbaric or whatever mm. and the kind of play of these. And there's a lot of visual stuff about that, I think, in this movie, whether it's empty warehouses or sort of stairwells or whatever. And Jeremy is the ultimately, he's a domesticated reptile, isn't he? He's, he's a landlord. He's the ultimate symbol of, of ownership and property. Whereas, yeah. you know, and, but he's so, He's, I mean, he's got, he attacks her with that snake at one point. He's so yeah. unerotic and unlovable that, you know, he is, yes. he's reptilian. It's horrible. He, reptilian is a great word for him, especially when he's always like nude. Like he's always la like yeah. lazing around in his underwear yeah. and his physicality, like his length, he has no body fat at all. And just like, just, he's just disgusting. Like there's something about it that he's so creepy and he has nothing redeeming about him while... Like the way that David Thewlis plays Johnny has so much softness, even though they do have like similar well, traits. It's funny because like historically, like Mike Lee has gotten a lot of criticism for having like exaggerated working class characters. And I, I think it's the opposite. I think that like he's got so much empathy for his working class characters. And if anything, like he he does these, you know, <laughs> almost like ex extreme you know evil like uh you know uh, rich characters in a way that like i yeah i i don't really understand the criticism i agree i didn't think any of the working class characters seemed like caricatures or anything like that they were all drawn with such like vulnerability softness yeah. they were very like unique especially the way that they communicate back to johnny when he asks them questions like everyone has has like understands where they are like laughing about the two of them being on the dole while louise is the only one who's working and then sandra comes in too, their third roommate at the end who just has mm -hmm. a totally different approach to her situation while like so you have people who are just like okay we're stuck here we have people who are trying to get out and then people who are like playing a, a version of middle class in this mm -hmm. so i think he does add mm -hmm. like a lot of different types of people and ways of working yeah Oh, totally. And like speaking of these like finely drawn characters, I mean, like, I think a character like Johnny, like on paper, is like immensely hateable. You know, he's like a rapist. He is like a misogynist. He, you know, abuses everyone around him. But like, but there's something about him that is sympathetic. And so what do you guys think like is is the key to that? Is is it Thewlis's performance? Is it the fact that like he's clearly like a like a hurting person who you know is like crying out for some kind of like uh, comfort or understanding i don't know i mean he's like an oozing wound you know yeah, like yeah. i like he's just generally like a like a throbbing wound walking around everywhere like you can definitely yeah. feel it off of him like 
even the way he seduces the women, even though he's just like, I actually think in the moment he does love every single one of them. Like he loves mm-hmm. them and then he does I don't know what happens to him, like why he turns yeah. out like that. But Do you like agree it with does that, I I I oof uh I think that one of the kind of basic psychological insights a lot of people get in therapy is is the, the difficulty of loving other people without loving yourself, right? Mm. And I think what we have here is is a man who does have that capacity for love, but he has so much self-loathing that he mm. can't accept or take love. And in some ways, the climax of the movie and his rejection of, I think it's Louise's um, mm-hmm. love, essentially, is his incapacity to to accept that that love. So I think you might be right that for that moment, uh he he does but he can't settle with it and he can't be with that love in a meaningful way yeah i agree he just his his commitment to his own destruction stops him from doing any sort of healing but i do think he can while like sebastian slash jeremy doesn't have that quality within him right yeah um i mean another thing that that i was thinking about is so you know why, why are many people attracted to to this archetype, these, these problematic men, these, these abusive men, I think it's, it's hard to deny that there is some kind of erotic charge in that. And I think for me, part of it is that so many of the characters in this are lost and bored. And he says at one point, like, whatever else. He says he's never like, bored. He says exactly, he's never bored. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Bald. And so so what is he bringing to these people, the, the drunk, you know, old, older lady and these lost people? Is he bringing this libidinal energy and this yeah. kind of fury? And even though it's a self-destructive fire, it, it's still warm and people are drawn to him. Because you're trying to think, why are all these people drawn to him? Because he's not boring, is he? And he's, he's, he's this massive ball of fire that people are kind of like they're drawn to and it's I think that's a very true insight into human psychology yeah oh absolutely yeah I mean like yeah what do you guys think about like Louise like what is it that like she keeps like letting him get away with like he treats her like dirt and she's like clearly like I I would say maybe even more intelligent than he is I mean I think that she's got that like amazing button after his like speech about boredom where she goes spitboarding actually like I I I think she's you know a really fascinating character because it's like what draws her to him you know well they definitely have I think something within their shared history right like they were Mm -hmm. together let's say for a year we don't know what exactly happened why they left each other Mm -hmm. but again I think there was a real affection between them but he just can't do it you know he couldn't do it and she keeps hoping that there will be some sort of change like she she wants to help him because she understands him. I think there's something there. Like she understands him obviously much more than Sophie does, who like doesn't know that he's just like, I think Louise almost expected him to sleep with Sophie. Like she knows yeah. his behavior. Like she's like, oh, like the way she says like, oh, she has such a tiny waist and tiny tits. Like yeah. she knows exactly <laughs> that that's- Small tits and all. <laughs> <laughs> she knows that that's exactly what he's going to do. I feel like she does know him and that- yeah is what makes her like think that they can make this work because she knows him. Mm. She thinks that's enough, but I don't know if that really is. But I I love Louise's character. I feel like she grounds the film in a way. Like David Thewlis is like this chaotic energy, but she matches him in every single scene. And I loved both the women escaping, you know, the rapist when Jeremy Sebastian's in mm. inside their house and they both run away to the bar and they're talking mm. about like what they hope to come out of relationships like that scene is that they both they are also like searching for something that these men aren't providing for them right and they're just like their level of disappointment of like 
Sophie being like, my friends didn't think I could take care of a child. Maybe that's true. Or like, I do want to get married, but I want someone who's like normal. You know, that's Mm -hmm. they're they're both talking about this and they are. Is this the only option that they have, you know, like compared to the Sebastian type or, you know, the Johnny type? They hate you if you're smart. They hate you if you're clever. They don't know what they want. Yeah, it's yeah, it is a really nice scene and a nice counterpoint to the very male vibes of a lot of a lot of the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, and I, I think it does that one scene elevates the film a lot. I don't know what you guys thought about the moment where Louise confronts Jeremy uh, with the knife and threatens to, uh, yeah. you know, to emasculate him. Um, I felt a bit. I don't know if it felt a little bit like too too easy a resolution. I mean, it, I was sort of glad to see him get his comeuppance, but. He, yeah, I don't know. For me, it felt like a, a you know, quite an obvious plot point to hit. And I wasn't sure if I was sort of, because the rest of the movie is so sort of unrelentingly grim that mm-hmm. even though it was nice to see, I was like, okay, fair enough. I, I suppose so. I dislike that whole sequence of all of him in, of him in the house and all of them in there. And then they're trying to like get Johnny into the bed. Like that sequence is really hard to watch. Like, I don't know, but I, I understand what you're saying, but I feel like she had to do it because the women needed some sort of pushback. Like there, there, mm. there's so much violence against women in this movie. Like it's unrelenting. So I think yeah. there needed to be at least one moment of of them fighting back, especially after Sophie's like brutal rape. You know, and like yeah. I think there had to be something. Otherwise, the movie's too imbalanced. And and I I don't know about you, Veda, but like I think that it's it seemed kind of realistic to me like i think that oftentimes when like we as like women encounter some sort of like male or sexualized violence that like oftentimes like it 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 seems over the top in retrospect you know mm-hmm. but yeah but i love how when, she performed it too like the way that yeah. there it's in the kitchen like and then how she like turns her body and like seems yeah. like she's going to like give him a blowjob or something you know what i mean like the way that she moves and then suddenly alters to being like this violent like take yeah. out the knife and stuff i think her performance in that is really wonderful yeah no i i i it was a bit big but i don't think that it was like big in a way that like I don't think would be um you know unrelatable to most mm-hmm. women <laughs> you know can't argue with that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give me a knife I'm ready <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm curious like to- like you know talking about that and like I so a criticism that this movie has gotten over the years is that it's like misogynistic or like you know revels in women's pain I don't I don't think that's true, but I, I, I don't know who's reveling watching this. Yeah, but I don't think it's, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's, it's not just... even, yeah, even the scenes of sexual violence. Are, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that we're discussing it in the context of an erotic movie because it made me sort of like deeply, deeply unerotic. It's like bromide in my tea. I was like, I don't think I <laughs> want to have any intercourse again for a while. Um, I mean, even though the cat, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think you were saying, Shelley, you wanted to take a shower after the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I think, sorry, just, I mean, also on that, like, I think, you know, Mike Lee has said, you know, those two women that play Louise and Sophie were feminists and wouldn't have tolerated a movie. It, it is a hyper real sort of distorted magnifying glass image of male and female sexual violence specifically. Mm-hmm. But I think to take it as a celebration is 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 a bizarre misread. And I think one critic who talked about how the, the women were doormats uh, in, mm. in some way. And, you know, but the, the real world has so much of these phenomena in it uh, yeah. of, of, you know, powerful 
rich landlords exploitation like th this these phenomena are not invented by mike lee to propagandize anything they are uh, a hyper real turned up depiction mm -hmm. of some of the horrible toxic elements of reality and i think to, to belie that is to miss the point and it's connection and misconnection right like sophie like sees him and she in the beginning of the film when he's waiting for louise she sees him and there's something about him and he knows he like he smiles at her he knows how to give her a compliment he asks about her clothes or even when he's in the cafe and he sees that other woman like who's living in in uh in the house with like the the gay couple who's in america and like he's like gets mad that she doesn't let him stay like he compliments her smile like he knows he's like putting something out there and the women are also searching for a level of connection so they do ex accept him often and then mm. like his behavior is erratic and so it just like the way that they react back to him changes and then also I there's the scene in the sorry there's that scene in the um jeremy in when he takes out the masseuse and she like is disgusted by him and leaves the date but the waitress is turned on by it and goes home mm -hmm. with him you know mm -hmm. so she, and like she kind of changes her like perspective after spending some time with him and she's like this guy's disgusting you know so yeah. like it's just connection and misconnection i mean i i, I think, think that like any um accusations of like misogyny are confusing misogyny and having empathy for a character that is misogynistic like mm -hmm. that, like obviously johnny is like a bad guy but i think that like we can like have empathy for him even as he hurts the other characters you know i agree and and i i totally agree with what you guys are saying and i think you know he does he is a predator he is a predatory yeah. individual and he kind of knows how to weaponize his patheticness but if if he wasn't so actually pathetic if he wasn't actually sleeping on the street and getting yeah. the shit kicked out of him and really living he's not a guy who's putting on the front of being a sort of down and out guy to try and have sex with women he really is a complete mess and he's willing to kind of he lives that to the full and that somehow does redeem the more strategic element of of, of his uh, you know attack strategy with women he, he's not making it up he really is that that out of it yeah 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 i i think that that's like a good question like how what do we think about johnny like in terms of like his the way that he treats other people especially women like how much of it is um strategic and how much of it is just that like he's a, a man lost you know i don't know if we can divide it like and say exactly yeah. like what percentage of it but I think about him going to that uh, older woman you know the drunk older woman and she asks him to hit hit her right yeah. like while they have sex and he says no like he doesn't want to do that but then there's other time he, the movie opens with him raping someone so it's just right. like his behavior is just generally um chaotic right like yeah. I don't it's almost like yeah he has no control of how he acts and responds and he I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, th I think it's very difficult to. And I think even with out. that older woman, it's like, okay, is is he like drawing like a moral line, uh, mm -hmm. or is he just not attracted? Not to into her? it. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. And if if she asks him to hit him, is that the whole fun gone? You know, right, uh, right. that's yeah, that's exactly. we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> My he favorite very... section though is in the, in the like, with the the night the night watchman. That's like yeah. my oh, whole yeah. favorite sequence of the movie because like Tom, you were saying about uh, like he's like a fire, right? That like people are drawn to like the night watchman notices him, like sees mm -hmm. him sitting outside. He's like, oh, there's this guy reading on the street, like thinks mm -hmm. it's very interesting. And he sees 
that they kind of think in the same way, even though they come to opposite conclusions. Like, he almost feels that off of him and invites him inside. Like, that he's the only other person who almost, like, invites him in. Everywhere else, he's, like, forcing himself in. And so I, I think that section, because they're both so hungry for a very specific type of conversation, like, who is able to match their their intellect and and, like, interest in talking about some like a specific thing they both are like they both actually have a satisfying exchange mm-hmm. i love and that the, entire section the night watchman has his own perversity as well doesn't mm-hmm. he and and I, yeah, I think this is a good chance to measure my brother pointed out this out one of the movies real grace notes is is when he's in the bathroom later with louise and he gets the bottle and he does the little like scan thing with it which he remembers you know he that that made an impact on him that that weird uh, night watchman thing and she doesn't really get it but he's it's it's a really nice sign that he is absorbing his environment and connecting with these people uh, and i agree it's, it's such a wonderful sort of surreal uh scene um you know talking about the empty space and the sort of guarding guarding space and everything like that uh, at the end of the world the night watchman guarding the empty spaces um but yeah their connection and conversation is probably him at his most eloquent and loquacious as well isn't it we get a lot of johnny's sort of big rants about uh, barcodes and uh, you know nostradamus and all that because uh, he's found a sparring partner and it is very satisfying to watch yeah and then he tries to do it with the other other woman that he meets at the cafe, right? And then he's like, he makes a joke about Homer erotic and things like that. And he asks mm-hmm. if she's read those books and she says no. But then like earlier on, he when he's with the older woman, he's like, oh, I don't read, you know? So you can see him like kind of playing different identities. And... Jane Austen by Emma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. he's and actually... always looking for like a Louise because like she's the only one who will like give him back what he's giving, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, which Shelley is such an interesting point because I, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about the movie's ending, which I'm sure you guys have plenty to say yeah. about, but that, that, and you know, it is a remarkable final scene, you know, stuff like Joker, I think has a similar energy, this kind of incredible mm-hmm. celebration of, aliveness but also this refusal of the domestic calm and love that he's that he's offered um Mm. and i I just think uh it's such a kind of remarkable scene um because there's something so joyful about it whereas really i think mike lee said that he had a question in from a new york panel or something and someone asked him will johnny be dead in the next hour after the movie ends Mm. and he thought that was a really good question (laughs) because yeah i mean you know he's probably he's limping along he's dragging this sort of septicemic leg he's half deranged he's sort of where is he going it's cold no one knows and uh, is that, and yet we feel weirdly elated in the way it's it's shot. And I, I did not, I did not that. feel elated. I did not. Ah, feel okay. <laughs> watching it, I I understand because the the camera maybe like gives it that, but for me it's just like it just is like infinite despair. Like I just yeah, felt like yeah, an endlessness of of despair. I didn't feel any elation. It was just it was so disappointing to me. Like I was just like so sad that to see him just committed to like that level of there is no possible future. And, and and I agree. I think that like Mike Lee like sets up a sort of like binary with Louise and Johnny that like Johnny is like determined to be on this path of like self-destruction. And Louise is someone who has like, I think the same sort of personality, but is like actively trying to just like live day to day, you know? I, I almost wonder if one of the reasons I loved it so much was partly because it was 
a refutation of audience expectation and maybe this sort of belief mm. that they're going to get on the bus together and hold hand and sing take me to right. manchester when it's raining and the camera's going to pan right. out and then mike lee will come out and go like that and you know jeremy i, mean, I, knew, I knew it wasn't going to happen like we understand johnny's character after watching him for two and a half hours or whatever like we know he's not going to go with her he no, is not going he he shows and that's another reason i think that like people are drawn to him he shows who he is He's not like mm-hmm. he's constantly just himself in every single scene in every single interaction. Like I never for a moment thought that he would get on the bus with her. But at the same time, like how much I wanted him to change, like made me want him to do it. But then I was like, great, like just this infinite level of destruct, self-destruction, self-loathing and despair. It's just painful. So, so what makes David Thewlis like so magnetic? Like, cause he looks like a normal guy. Like, but what is it about him that is like so compelling? Well, I think we have to talk about the writing to some extent. Yeah, um, sure. And and I I actually can I share a little quote if I may that, that I was Please. just reading the other day uh, thinking about because this this question of work a question of class and you know I'm not here to sort of provide a massive class insight but it is very hard to write really good uh, dialogue in sort of especially in the working class milieu because it's so easy to, for it to fall into parody. And uh, this is a quote uh, from from Adorno that that really made me think of this movie. Um, uh, The language of the subjected um, dominion has stamped, robbing them of the justice promised to them. Proletarian language is dictated by hunger. The poor chew words to fill their bellies. From the spirit of language, they expect the sustenance refused them by society. Those whose mouths are full of words have nothing else between their teeth and they take revenge on language. And it just really made me think of this guy who's just absorbing these books reading 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 and chewing it and spitting it out with this rage and fury in this kind of mancunian accent and so to hear kind of homer and plato and these biblical passages kind of masticated and regurgitated in this working class accent is extremely compelling and that some of the lines are just fantastic and the you know the the, the, the wordplay is is really is really good and so i think thulis's acting is certainly part of this but the quality of the writing it's very hard, isn't it, when we see a character who's really witty and kind of well-written by the writers to not sort of go, I don't know, not to want to like them to some extent. And and it's it's just, it's it's very, very appealing to see him furiously chewing up what he takes in and spitting it back out into the world with such grace. Like, so I think that's a part of it as well, is just the quality mm-hmm. of that dialogue. I agree. It's the, it's, it's his wit. It's his wit and his, that makes the character so charming, his in- intelligence and wit. David Thewlis's performance is amazing too though like because he you can his body everything about him is johnny like he totally has Mm. morphed himself into this character um and it's just like he's just moving around with so much anger rage and like force like he's just forcing himself through any situation like and that long coat that he wears and the boots and he's freezing all the time like you can just see almost the cold getting to him as the movie continues. Um, and I just, I, I think the other Mike Lee movie I watched, um, I can't remember it now. I forgot the name of it, but it's about a family. So it's just like the family home and like everyone is together. So this one is just like every single person is a, is just alone. And that just stuck mm. out to me so much. It's like just individual people in their own little spaces, just waiting for him to come in and like, shake them out of whatever and then there's the scene where he's laying in bed with uh louise and sophie and they're like oh what what are your plans for christmas and it's just like Mm. they that search for some sort of like 
home is there. I don't know. And you almost see like that domesticated moment towards the end of the film, which he ends up rejecting. But you're like, what is he searching for the rest of the movie? Like, why is he, was he, wasn't he searching for this? Like, what is he searching for? But I don't think he knows. Johnny is homeless, but sorry, Shelley. I just want to say that the movie title Naked is an interesting one, isn't it? To to pick up Mm. what you're saying, Vader, because these characters, they don't feel at home in their own decor. They don't understand the objects around them a lot of the time. They're sort of like, I don't, they're in the wrong house. They're sort of living there or they don't know what these things are. Exactly. And they're somehow naked, even though they're inside in the warm. They're, then they're still kind of outside in some spiritual sense. Which but only the landlord Johnny. is naked all the time. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wonder if that um, sort of homelessness and anger and searching is part of why he's appealing. Like, you know, it's those are not like positive qualities per se, but is that part of what like makes him attractive? I think so. I think there's an honesty because I think a lot of people would yeah. see the movie and go, yeah, the world is messed up and, and unfair yeah. and full of people like Jeremy and Grimm and Hospitable. Johnny's the only one who, a bit like a kind of Jesus or a Hamlet, is in Elsinore sort of looking around and going, this this is rotten. And everyone else is like, yeah, it's rotten, but we'll stay inside with the, the busts of Homer. But he's really convinced it's rotten and is becoming rotten himself as a sort of reaction to it. And so the honesty draws him to us as well, I think. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's he's a, I, I don't. I think it's possible for like a despicable character sometimes to have attractive elements in them. You know, yeah, like so. I yeah. So I do think like even though he's not, he has a lot of uh, redeeming qualities. Or like you watch him and you do understand him. Like if you ever have feelings of self loathing ever, you watch this character and you're like, you see like the worst of any human behavior like on the screen right but he just owns it so i think Mm -hmm. that is what makes him very interesting he's never trying to hide himself or his own he's not shying away from negativity or negative emotion to his own detriment but yeah he like there's something about that just accepting the nature of of the world while maybe everyone else is fighting it but maybe you should fight for it you know like that's what the night watchman says like this is your life you're wasting your life like don't waste your life with this like you need to have some sort of dream. You need to have some sort of goal. Like you can't just be in this nihilistic moment. Like it's not functioning. And he's like, well, any, nothing's ever going to change. So I think there's like an interesting political con- conversation that is almost happening there, like in their two perspectives. Like they both know that something is decaying, but one is like, well, I'm I'm expecting things ultimately to get better because like it's cyclical like things will something will have to improve or at least my future will will be better yeah well speaking of like these you know complicated characters that we find attractive like are there other characters in movies that like you guys know are not good that they're you know they do bad things but you find like really appealing every disney villain ever i mean they're like johnny they go the world is messed up and I'm sort of, it's not quite the same because often they have a sort of plan or a scheme for power or whatever, and there's a bit of Jeremy in them. But I mean, it's it's almost, to me, it's like that, that so many sex symbols seem, seem to have this 
it's more than a coincidence to see how many are appealing or attractive and a lot of people's weird secret crushes do seem to revolve around them and again why and maybe it is that fire is that wherever else you can say about scar or jafar or i don't know whoever or ursula i don't know, <laughs> ursula, ursula. Of course, <laughs> I, don't know. I wanted to drop a, a lady in now so you know um, my favorite though because she's, she's in, they're great. all interesting. They're all interesting. Like they yes. have the they have like the fun songs that have like the acting in it, you know? <laughs> like and you know, there's a lot of like new rom-coms that there's no there's no actual character. Like these they just seem like there's no interesting dialogue. There's no like fight between two people not like fight or interest between two people. Like it does seem like everyone is it's just like boring, you mm-hmm. know? So it's nice to see something that's so dialogue focused and i do like i i love his rants of like everyone's just looking for the next new thing like there's no you know like i feel like we all sound like this sometimes you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah totally oh i love that yeah no i yeah i i think that like it i mean something that has come up on this podcast before is like tar um and how we find that character so attractive even though she's like an abuser um so I, I think that like art is a good place to kind of work through those feelings of like um, being attracted to charismatic, but maybe harmful people, you know? I think everyone, I mean, I, well, I'm not, I certainly, well, how about you? I mean, you, from what you were saying, Vader, it sounds like a lot of women can probably relate to, maybe to Louise and uh, maybe have been Louise and Sophie at some point and ask them, and maybe ask themselves sort of, what happened there and this movie does seem to be interested in that question of how is this dirty crumpled rag of a man who sort yeah. of is falling to pieces how is he leaving sort of what how is he how are these women like louise interested in him and i i'd love to hear what you guys think because that's the big question really isn't it i yeah. i don't know do you know what i mean you watch it and you're like i don't know but then emotionally you do kind of understand it like they want to they want to help him they want to heal him like he's He's laying on the bed and there's three women who are nursing him back to health, including mm-hmm. an actual nurse, you know, like they're all trying to give to to make it better for him. Um, but he doesn't accept it. And then like maybe that's just the way that the women in the film are socialized. Right. Like they should give it, you know, like the, mm-hmm. they should do what they can to make him better. You know, like I think there's just a lot of. I don't know. I don't I think there's he's so emotionally vulnerable and he he tapped into something with both of them sophie and louise and he tries to do it with sandra but she rejects him do, do you think some some problematic men weaponize that emotional vulnerability to some extent um I so. because i think that is a big one because look at jeremy jeremy's not appealing he has will to power he has kind of you know the same in some ways the same aspects as him but he has no emotional vulnerability at all and so that seems very important but again this interesting question of how conscious is johnny of the effect of that vulnerability on women he's a smart guy he must see how to deploy it so the question of how deliberate he is about it seems like a good a good one to wonder about I, I yeah I mean I think he is deliberate about it like I agree I think he is deliberate about it he knows you can see him work work his little tricks his like he yeah. has his things like oh you have a nice smile or like he's he knows the way he like he knows how to seduce yeah. he knows how to seduce he's not like an incelly type guy like he has <laughs> a level of seduction and he knows he has this type of power over some women and he can probably yeah. spot the women that would want mm. to, to take care of him. Yeah. True. 
And I'm curious, like, I mean, you are both artists. Um, so I assume that you both are attracted to these kind of like exciting, uh, complicated figures. Um, so I don't know, how do you balance like in real life of like being with someone who is complicated, but, uh, exciting versus, uh, you know, someone who's maybe more stable, but not quite so thrilling. <laughs> I know it's a heavy question. <laughs> st- sticking to the movie here. This is not a therapy session. We're going sticking to the film. <laughs> Just because I think about that a lot. So I, you know. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, you know, to, to deflect the question slightly, um, as, 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 a, as a motor mouth British man, you know, more than that, you know, as a guy who perceives the movie and perceives the effect that this character has on women, you know, and and it's it's so forgiven by the viewer in a way. Mm-hmm. How how much license do do I or other men have to to do what he's doing, which is really to 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 predate on people and to leech from them and to trick them with our vulnerability and our wit. I mean, mm-hmm. is that laudable? How much of that can we allow in ourselves if it's an effective strategy and it gets us what we want? And so I think for men as well, watching it, you have to sort. We we don't want to be Jeremy for sure, but but how much of that Johnny can we? tolerate without being like I, I you know it's, I think that's a that's a very interesting question as well because you see the Johnnies of the world doing well and you go mm-hmm. okay bit of emotional vulnerability bit of pain good wit uh, I mean imagine if he'd written a play or something he'd be he'd be he'd be absolutely killing it um but we he have to have, talk- he does have a psychology degree like he does say it you know in yeah. another life he could have been yeah. using his emotional vulnerability as a therapist <laughs> yeah oh man oof lots to think about uh it's such such an interesting character and i wish like i want to read a little bit more about the process of creating it like how they work together why they chose those specific books like what you know it's just Mm -hmm. i i really just like that entire process of bringing the character to life and you know how mike lee approaches these films absolutely i I, I also i mean i just wanted to say that as a really big fan of Hamlet, there was a lot of Hamlet in this for me, um, mm-hmm. in in everything from his kind of big jacket to sort of his, you know, the way Hamlet is with Ophelia and, and the way that Hamlet just talks at the air and he has this mm-hmm. overflowing word sort of, you know, I think one critic said he's, he's burdened by excessive knowledge, this sort of overeducated person with words spilling from their lips and, but also this existential fury and this lack of kind of decisive action. Um, I think that Miley captures that really, really well without sort of ripping it off um, in this character. Why is Ophelia in love with Hamlet? I mean, mm-hmm. why, why, why is Louise in love with Johnny? Um, if there was an easy answer, we wouldn't have to make a movie about it, but it is, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a different question, is it? It's the same kind of puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, ah, guys, this has been amazing. Guess we should wrap it up. Um, but this has been a great talk. Uh, Tom, Beta, where can people find you? What is your social media? Do you have any fun projects coming up? Well, as uh, as most of you know, I was hacked on social media, so I currently have <laughs> no social media, and I'm living away from everything so you know if you have any questions you can go to the <laughs> you can go to the podcast instagram <laughs> perfect and what about you tom 
Oh, I was also hacked on Instagram. I wonder if it was a similar thing. Because <laughs> uh, there was a major leak. Yeah. So. Well, it was. Uh, well, someone messaged me asking to support their clothing brand, and then I clicked a link, and I got locked out. Wow, I have some Burmese students in Myanmar who were like sort of messaged me and said, "Teacher, like, please, they are attacking the villages." And then the reply that was sent for the account was, "That's great. Like, do you invest in Bitcoin? Uh, like, go to this crypto." No, teacher, I do not know about Bitcoin. Like, this really tragic, horrible dialogue, and I had to be like, "That wasn't me. That wasn't me. I'm not trying to sell you guys Bitcoin." Anyway, I'm no longer selling Bitcoin or hacked. You can find me on Instagram at speak underscore weird underscore words, speak weird words with underscores, and you can find a link to my blog which i'll be updating soon on there but that's probably the best place to find me speak weird words on instagram with underscores between amazing and you can follow us at everyone is hot pod that's one as a numeral one not o and e everyone is hot pod on instagram and twitter and uh all i've got left to say is please stay horny <laughs> <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.